Welcome back to Grace Unscripted. As always, I'm your host, Ben Falkenberg. Thanks for checking in with us again. Hey, today's episode is a little bit different than normal. Um, I think it's really interesting. I hope you like it. You know, I so enjoyed my time with Dr. Fisher when we chatted the other day that I was able to convince him to come back on and talk with me again before he left for Georgia. I had some very specific questions I wanted to pick his brain about in order to help the Bible make better sense to all of us. And so I'll be honest, we, we nerded out on the Bible a little bit. Uh, I hope it wasn't too much. Hopefully this helps you. But we really wanted to help make the Old Testament make sense to a 2019 follower of Christ, especially one that's hanging out in America. So often I think we read the Old Testament and it seems like this bizarre, unknowable portion of the Bible. It almost seems like an entirely different God than the Jesus of the New Testament. And so Dr. Fisher and I sat down to see if we could help the listener understand the Old Testament a little bit better. I really hope this helps you. It certainly helped me. And so thanks for listening and welcome to Grace Unscripted. All right, well, I am back with Dr. Fisher today. Uh, he was kind enough to give us a, a second round. I had so much fun with uh, with you the last time we talked. I went home and I realized there was so much I forgot to ask you. And so I was, <laughs> I was talking to Tanya and I said, oh, man, I, I should ask him all these questions and stuff. And she was like, well, do it again. Ask him again. So I reached out to Dr. Fisher. He's back for round two. So thanks for being here. I'm excited for this one because there's some real specific questions that I've written down to ask you not only stuff that I have questions about, but I know that people at Grace Church and the listeners of this certainly have questions too, and I think some of this is going to really help us kind of walk through and navigate what it looks like for an American Christian in 2018 to interact with the Bible correctly, uh, specifically the ancient Hebrew scriptures as we look at God's law and stuff in the Old Testament. So I appreciate your time and being here. I think if we don't believe the Bible is relevant for today, we actually will not spend time with it. I mean, you're not going to spend time looking into something that you think has nothing to do with your life. No, no, you won't, especially not now. we got enough stuff going on, right? we got enough TV to watch for five lifetimes. So, um, Okay, so what I was hoping to do here is I have actually spent some time, and I wrote down specific questions um, that I'd like to ask you, and then that just kind of direct our, our conversation a little bit. Um, so that we can try to inform the listeners. And a lot of these are things I'm dealing with, so certainly I'm not coming from this as, hey, I'm going to show the listener everything I know. This is for us to see everything you know. <laughs> well, at least at least we'll try to navigate this together. Yeah, all right. With the Word of God, okay. That's right. Okay, so first question. I want to talk about, we're going to talk a lot about the Old Testament. Okay. Um, I think the Old Testament, for a lot of Christians, is this weird place that they don't have any idea what to do with. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the population that we're reaching with Grace Church, a lot of them are, are new Christians. They haven't grown up in the church. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't even have any Old Testament background. They don't know the stories. I at least grew up in the church, although I wasn't a Christian as a as a young young kid. Like I knew who Jonah was, and I knew these stories, and so they were a little bit easier for me to understand. But I think a lot of our population here, they're meeting Jesus at at church here, and then mm-hmm. it's like, what in the world is going on in this? older section. It looks like God's angry all the time. And what? how do I interact with this? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people just never do. Well, you know, also, they only read one or two verses here or there. Yeah. It, it's, like, uh, it's like starting in the story. When the story gets boring to you or you don't like what happens, you sort of just turn off the TV. Yeah. And then somebody asks you, did you see that show last night? And you don't want to act like you're, you don't know. So you say, yeah, I was watching. What do you think? Well, I thought it was just boring and <laughs> terrible. And the guy goes, did you see the end? Yeah. And the guy go, I go, no, why? Because it was phenomenal. It's like, 
I think a lot of times in the Old Testament, and it is long, and that's a problem with our culture because we want the Reader's Digest version. Yeah. But, uh, the Cliff Notes Old yeah, Testament. Cliff, that's better. That's even shorter, the Cliff Notes. And so, but what happens is in the Old Testament, it is true that there are, are rough passages. Just like if I looked at one day in your life or your marriage or your family, if I looked at one hour, I might think you're the worst person in the whole world. Oh, for sure. But see, you have to read the whole story to see yeah. what happens. That's cool. I never, I, I, I think I have started to see this a little bit. Um, I think maybe the last two years I've tried to really start pushing pushing into the Old Testament. Now, it, one thing I've learned is I have to do it with some help because some of it's so foreign to me. Um, one of the best things I, I ever heard was like when you're interacting with the Old Testament, you have to put your ancient Israelite lenses on because you have to see this the way that they would have seen this. Otherwise, you're missing the point because it can't mean something to you that it didn't mean to them. Right. In other words, God's actually communicating with them something that's important to his heart. Yes. And so he's going to speak their language. He's going to, in other words, we use the word accommodate. Just like you do when you speak with your children. Yeah. You accommodate your children because you want them to understand you and your heart. That makes sense. But I feel like what I'm seeing now, as my eyes are kind of being open to it, is that God is consistent. He never changes. That's what, Hebrews thirteen eight, I think, and... Like he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this picture starting in Genesis 1 that flows to Revelation is is just a river of his love and grace. And it just kind of flows the whole way and it takes these crazy turns and stuff. But if you just pick up middle of the, of the river, you don't see the whole picture. And you kind of miss out on who God really is. Yeah. And I think it's important. I know for me, I at least feel the conviction of I want to know who he is mm-hmm. um, as much as he'll let me know of him. Right. I mean, the mysteries right. belong to him, but there has been some stuff that he's given us in his word to be like, I'm going to let you know my heart to a degree. I think there's some that he doesn't um, let us to the fullness, and that's because he's God and we're not. But I want to do that. And so I'm hoping today we can give some insight and I can sure. pick your brain to, to understand this better. And I love to do that. I, I do want to. There is a caution sometimes in that when we ever when we come to the word of God, we come with our definitions and our expectations and those things are something you always have to be, uh, you have to just open those up and let God speak into that and God's word. Because what happens if you never are, are honest with yourself and are honest with the word and are honest with God, you're never going to actually understand it. Because yeah. like the way we define love or the expectations we have for joy and peace in our world and, uh, and, and how we need to reach those things. All those things form how we interpret how God is speaking and how God is acting in his word. Yeah. And sometimes we don't give him the fair chance that we expect everyone to give us when we're talking. Yeah, I think that's important. All right, well, let me ask you my first question. And you might have to bear with both of us. It was 85 last Tuesday, and it was 41 this weekend. So fall hit. He and I are both a little sore. Uh, throats are a little sore. We both got cough drops, but we're going to try to try to proceed anyway. All right, Dr. Fisher, let me let me start us with this. I wanted to I want to walk with you and describe God's relationship with Israel and why that matters to the to the church today. And that's a huge question. So let's look at it. Let's break it down a little bit. Why does as much as he'll let us know. So some of this we're going to say, like, who God is and why God is. This is our understanding of it. I mean, we're not trying to put God in a box here. That would be absurd. But why, to your knowledge, did God choose to bless a specific nation? There's this interaction with God and this nation of Israel that's taken place and kind of is the centerfold of the Old Testament. What's, mm-hmm. a, what's that all about? It starts with uh, Abraham, 
I know we were looking at a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 10, but he explains there, he says, you know, uh, you may not understand why I chose you. He would, he's sort of saying it that way. And we were talking about it's not because you're good looking or yeah. something like that. But he says it's because of the oath I made to your forefathers. And what he is doing is he's being. So forefather would be Abraham. Forefather would be Abraham, the Jacob, father. Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. And, and he's, he's also demonstrating his faithfulness to the promise. So his faithfulness to the promise is also go, takes us back to the very first chapters of Genesis in chapter 3.15 where, where he's talking with Adam and Eve after they have chosen to, to run away from him and hide from him and separate themselves and go on their own pathway. Yeah. So what happened, this, this, this question that you're asking actually forces us to go back into the Old Testament, the very beginnings. Yeah, well, let's go there. <clears throat> okay, let's do that. <laughs> so after when, when, when God creates the world, and he's, and he's created Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. He's interacting with them. Uh, they're receiving training, and, and they're growing and maturing. Then they make this choice to run away, to separate themselves from God, to do their own thing. At that point, we find God actually pursuing them. Yeah. And while they're running away, and, and he pursues them, then they begin to talk, and they hide from him. And it's almost, But they're blaming and everything is sort of connecting back to him, like you're the one who created this woman. You're the one. I mean, yeah. has all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, Abraham gives that nonsense. Yeah, all of them do. The woman you gave me made me do this. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of stuff. So, uh, but God is always providing a uh, a way of redemption. And there, when He gives that promise, then after that, we're going to see that mankind after they they once again Cain starts this pathway of going down the wrong pathway, kills Abel. And it seems like the world's falling apart again. And then Seth is born, and they begin to call upon the Lord. And then you have this Seth-Cain struggle. Mm-hmm. And so the, but the ways of Cain seem to be gaining faster ground. Yeah. And pretty soon, by the time you get to chapter 6 in Genesis, the whole world is evil continually. They're all their thoughts, their actions. And, and the world is, is just destroying itself. It seems to be that also the angels sort of get involved in the fight yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's a little weird. We'll leave that alone. Yeah, we we're not going to go there. And, but in the midst of this, uh, this judgment that's coming because it leads to all the chaos and death, and God comes down and he cleans out the world with the flood. But then right after that, he call, in the midst of that, he calls a person by the name of Noah. Yep. It says Noah found so God and now God begins to work through that person, and when you when you begin to look at Noah, you find that he walked with God, mm-hmm. that, which implies that he was there in the garden and interacting with God, and he he was dedicated to God, and so God chooses to work through him, and then what happens? Sin finds its way, and people choose to follow their flesh and. And they get involved, and pretty soon it leads not from Noah's sons and Noah himself all the way to the Tower of Babel, where Nimrod is doing his thing. And he's, a, and he's going to stand in the place of God on the great tower that he builds. Yeah. And God's going to come down and fill him, and then he's going to lead all these people. But it's not truly godly. It's a very selfish thing, where he's a setting himself up as God almost. Yeah, he's not seeking God. He's trying to be God. Right. And so... So in that God, uh, in the midst of that God, God comes down and he and he touches them, and their minds can't communicate. And that's so, when languages are born. That's when languages they are born. They start babbling to yeah. each other at the Tower of Babel. <laughs> that's right. And they probably that's where the races probably began yeah. as they separated and joined with languages. 
But in that moment, then what does God do? Just leave the world in the, this mess? No. He, he calls a man. His name is Abraham. And so what, a, what, a, what we find all the way through the Bible is sin starts to just, it, it just has this way of permeating all of life because of the selfishness of mankind and the, and the pride that we have in our hearts and the desire for us not to follow God but to do our own thing and to break outside the parameters of what I call reality and life, mm-hmm. inviting then death yeah. <laughs> into, our, into our experience. But God is always pursuing, and this, the concept of, of Israel is that same thing. It starts with Abraham, and God is saying, I'm not going to leave mankind just to himself. I'm going to search him out. Yeah. That same thing also appears in the New Testament, where Jesus Christ is sent into the world, and they ask, and why are you here? And he says, I'm here to seek and to save those that were lost. So God has always been on that mission, and this is just evidence of God's mercy and his grace that he deals with them. When you begin to look into Abraham, God calls him to do something, and he actually believes God and obeys him. And that's what he credits him as righteousness. And that's what he credits him as righteousness. In other words, even though he still is, uh, he doesn't understand a lot of things, he has chosen to believe God and start walking the pathway that leads to correction or yeah. to rightness. And he's not perfect. I mean, uh, the Bible's clear he... Um, he he kind of we'll get in maybe this like he yeah. kind of goes into his own way to try to get the son that's been promised and he the language is he oppresses that woman Hagar right mm-hmm. so I mean he's far from perfect and then they're journeying he kind of shovels his wife off a little bit so I mean he's not perfect yeah. none of us are but it seems like he believed God and yeah. that's what kind of separated him and what God chose to yeah. say I'm going to make my covenant with you. Covenant actually begins to develop when he when he first makes that move. So of let's faith. talk about that. I think that's a big word. I think it'd be fun to park there the for covenant? a second. Yeah. So because that and people are like, what in the world? So God creates a covenant. We call that the what the old covenant or the first covenant. Yeah. Or the, just the, the covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. Yeah, the, well, yeah. you have the Edenic covenant with Adam and Eve. Okay. Then you have the Noahic covenant. Okay. Then you have the Abrahamic covenant. And then you get the new covenant with Jesus. Yes, and then okay. you have the Davidic, you have the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and there's a few other smaller ah, there's more ones covenants in there. than there's I all kinds of them, and then the New Covenant with Jesus. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about the the one with Abraham. So okay. God, as you said, he has not he has not left mankind completely to just go to waste on their own. He keeps pursuing, right? Right. He keeps pursuing. He he chooses mm-hmm. Abraham and says, "I'm going to make a covenant with you." What is this covenant based on? Oh, you'll love this. No, I just love it. When uh, Abraham responds to God and he obeys, which is a sin, I mean, which comes out of a heart of trust, he doesn't understand completely. Like you said, he, su- he sins a lot. Yeah. Well, sin, he disobeys. He does foolish things, too. Like, yeah. And you all, it's almost like if you notice, if you read the historical background, everything that he does is things that people actually did in his day to deal with the problems and the the issues that that society and life causes. Yeah. The problem is, is they they hurt people, and there are it, like if you were to look ahead and look at the Ten Commandments, everything that he did was breaking one of these yeah. these uh, 
moral codes that's, interesting. that's, that's near to man's heart and who we are. Because no one wants to be uh, treated as if they're a nobody, yeah, and, and and taken advantage of. And then, but not only was Abraham dealing with his problems, I mean, his wife Sarah also had problems. I mean, she causes mainly the problem with with Ishmael, yeah. And so all their all these decisions cause problems, which are later going to come back to uh, to haunt them in a sense. But what happens with Abraham is God makes this covenant with him, as, and as he continues to move. Every time he, he does something that, is, uh, that reflects man's thought and sort of circumvents the truth of God, God calls him on it. And you know what Abraham does in every, every situation, which is something that identifies him as a man after God's heart. He kind of repents and, and follows. Yes, he repents. He builds an altar, has a sacrifice there for the covering of his sin, and then he, he worships God and, and gets things right with God. And so you, you see him constantly growing. And through the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, you see through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, you see the development of faith and what it begins to look like. Okay. But Abraham's called the father not because he was the best, but because he was the first. He was the first. So, that, so let, me, let me put this in my own words and see if um, I'm interpreting this right and add kind of my understanding of it. So God comes to Abraham. He, he creates a covenant with him. And he says, you and your wife, Sarah, who are both like almost 100, 100 or something like that, they don't have any kids, mm-hmm. says, you will be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you with a son. His wife laughs. She doesn't believe it. So then they're like, well, we're going to have a son. We're going to be the father of this chosen nation. So they go about it their own way. He sleeps with his maidservant, Hagar, who's Egyptian. They have a son named Ishmael. And God says, that's not the one I meant. <laughs> you didn't trust me. And and uh Abraham says, oh, please bless him. And he says, this isn't the son that I've promised you. Like, trust me. So that creates a whole kind of struggle with with Sarah and the son and whatever. We'll leave that alone. Just focus on the covenant. And so specifically the covenant that God creates with him is you're going to be like the father of the nation as as you see the stars, so your descendants, and that's going to come through your son who is Isaac, correct? Yes, that's what he said. So Mm -hmm. they, they repent, they believe. He and Sarah conceive a son named Isaac that when they're well into their advanced years, that's kind of the flow of the covenant and then goes through him. Uh, Isaac then has, uh, who's Isaac? Jacob and Esau, is that right? Yes. Okay, and so mm-hmm. that, and then it kind of flows through Jacob. But the promise of the covenant basically starts with a son, Isaac, who's going to be who the nation of Israel flows through, and that's how all the descendants are going to be, that a fatherless Sarah and, or fatherless Abraham is now going to be the father of the nations. That, that's kind of the covenant right there? That, that is the content of the, the covenant. Content of it. Now, when we discuss the idea of the covenant, some of the content will point you back to where, where the covenant actually begins to develop. Okay. And the, the first covenant, of course, was between uh, Adam and Eve and God, where he says, through the seed of the woman... The, the, the works of the devil will be destroyed. The works of the serpent will be destroyed, mm-hmm. and and yet the serpent will also, uh, you know, bite his heel. His there, heel. And yeah. there's going to be a, a struggle there. But but and the seed of the woman is going to deliver you. Yeah. Now so that's a messianic prophecy. That, that's a messianic prophecy. One of the first elements of that. Yeah. Well, then you find that Adam and Eve believed that, and they thought it might come through Cain. And then it says, when Seth was born, people began to call upon the Lord again. So there is a it sort of has these early uh, indicators that this God is still working. 
Well, when God promises that he's going to work through this son of Isaac, it's interesting that he, the words that are used to describe him are only begotten. We translate them that way. Yeah. It probably means uniquely begotten. Uniquely begotten or, or, or above all or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. But see, Abraham had several sons. Yeah. But Isaac was the one that was chosen. And the wording that's used, it's, it sort of reflects back to that original promise. So the covenant that was made with Abraham is tied, it's not just the content of Abraham that he's talking about, it's actually tied to the promise that God, it's a bigger thing. Okay. And so we begin to realize what's happening here is that there's the promise, or the original covenant, We would you could say it's the promise that forms the foundation for the covenants. Yeah. And the covenants are, as you begin to develop them, especially here in Deuteronomy, which is coming out of the Mosaic covenant, Yeah. but it's actually... It's actually part of that Abrahamic covenant. It's a part of the covenant. It's okay. the part of the covenant of Abraham. And so what it is, it's a binding agreement. Yeah, this is good. Okay. Yeah, say okay. this. this let's it's, highlight this part. It's a binding agreement where God binds himself to his promise to, to, to chosen people that he's going to work with so that the man, so that the world or mankind can reach the destiny that he created them for. Can I ask you this? I had this written in my notes I wanted to talk about. Is the covenant conditional or is it unconditional? There are conditional elements to every covenant, and there are unconditional elements to every covenant. I want to to read this. I had highlighted this. Deuteronomy 10, 12. um, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear him, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and his statutes. So when I read that, it says, what does he require of you? That part of it seems to be what you're saying, like there are some conditions of it. Yes. Like the Lord is requiring this of you. Well, it is a covenant. And in, in that culture, uh, most covenants in, had two parties. Now you'll find in the covenants of God, sometimes there's, he does certain, he promises certain things, and there's no one else involved in the cutting of the covenant like we find there in Genesis. Yeah. And so when uh, when the covenant is cut, I think it's is it thirteen where he cuts that where the I don't remember off the top it's of my head thirteen or fifteen okay. but uh, where the covenant is cut God, oh, 15. 15, I, yeah. God walks through the yes I have this written down too and but but of course Abraham of course divided them yes so he's there but it's God that bears the the full responsibility for the covenant yes now so this is Genesis fifteen can I put yeah, something in there yes do that so um okay so. I read uh, a Tim Keller thing on this one time, and he was saying that uh, this is some really nerdy Bible language I'm going to use here. Okay. But it, I'm going to bring up my wife's going to be like, you're such a geek. So the the model of the covenant was this Near Eastern Treaty model where they used the words suzerain and, suzerain and vassal. Am I mm-hmm. saying those right? Right. And so under that, it was like the God is the suzerain. Am I saying that? Why don't you say king? God was the king, and he's delivering – like the covenant to the the people under him, and it's like this is what you have to have to hold your end of the bargain, and then I will uphold my end of the bargain. But if you do not, I do not have to. Mine is not binding. So Tim Keller describes this and says, so God kind of requires Abraham. This is Genesis fifteen. This is I mean, it sounds bizarre to us, but this you gotta read the Bible before this. Mm-hmm. He cuts all these animals in half, and he makes it into like a a covenantal. Uh, what's the right word? like a proceeding agreement with, with the Lord, um, and it, he, he will be required to walk through it to say to God, if I break the covenant, may, be, may I be 
broken like these animals. Like essentially this Mm -hmm. is a life or death binding covenant. But then Abraham falls asleep, and this is where the covenant is insane that God loves them so much that he comes and walks through it, and only he, saying, and this is foreshadowing Jesus, like, you're going to screw up, and I'm going to walk through the covenant yeah. for you. Yeah, well, that, it, it really is a picture I of probably Jesus. butchered that, but. No, that was, I mean, I thought it was, I mean, it's just like Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins. Yeah. So and say, what about me, God? All you have to do is trust. Yeah. So <laughs> it, I, like, when I've studied the, old, the, the covenant, there seems to be like these conditions of like, if you do not do this stuff, I'm going to leave your presence. Presence, and this stuff kind of happens in the short term. Like we've seen that, right? I mean, Israel never, Israel fell away from from God, mm-hmm. um, as the story proceeds here, and the presence leaves. He says, "I'm out. You guys aren't listening to me." Um, but then that's the condition. But the unconditional aspect of it is they didn't see in that day is like God never let go. It's well, like his yeah. eternal promise of like, I might leave, but like, I, I hold you forever, like Romans 11. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll bring you back kind of thing. Um, so that's what made it such a unique covenant was the mercy attached to it at the end that no one would have expected. Yeah, the, the Mosaic covenant is obviously evident of that. Whereas the, this, as you say, these suzerainty treaties were made between kings and vassals. They usually were made by someone who conquered you either by by military might or by uh, economic uh transference of wealth that type of thing and there would be the 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 king would would hold the power of your future but what he would do he would make a treaty with you because he can't do it without you and your land i mean that's just reality of life yeah because we can only be in one spot at one time (laughs) and like god okay but what happens is is that there is an agreement there for that well in this agreement what the faithfulness of god is what comes out of these agreements Matter of fact, all through the Old Testament, God is faithful. That doesn't mean that no matter what you do, you're, you don't have to worry. That's not you, because to make the covenant actually work, you have a part to play. And so there's conditional parts in, in the Abrahamic covenant, but not with God's part of making it work. That makes sense. In other words, he's going to be faithful. Matter When Israel was unfaithful, what did it say? God was faithful. Now, you may not like the way he was faithful because not only does, as Israel ran away and did its own thing, pursuing the evil gods around them, God pursued them, see, because God is faithful to his command. But many people and many generations of Israel did not experience the blessing of God. Yeah. Because the, the, when you read the covenant of, of Abraham, it says at the end, when the covenant is finally sealed or, or made complete, it says, because you have believed me and obeyed me, in this matter, that's when he tested him with the son. Then he repeats the covenant all again, and it's almost like during this whole tra- this whole journey, that that Abraham is learning about God, and God at the beginning covenants himself or binds himself to his promise, but at the same time he leads Abraham to the place where he's mature enough to buy into it also. And so he begins to recognize who God is, and so he, he binds himself to God by faith. God's done all the work, yeah. which is the most unusual thing. When you get to Moses, usually somebody conquers you, and the, the, the king conquers you, so he demands of you. When God comes to Moses, he says, you know, I rescued you. I didn't conquer us. Yeah. He rescues us from the conquerors who destroy us. 
if the king of uh, or the Pharaoh had all kinds of agreements with Israel, and they were bad agreements. Yeah, because he had conquered. He was in charge of them. Yeah, he was in charge of them. You're my slaves. You have to do this. God says, I have freed you. I, I have done all these things to free you. And then when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, in a sense, fulfilling that covenant yeah. agreement, he says, I have died for you. Wow. Because that's the only way you could be freed from the power of death yeah. and the power of sin. And so... We have to understand the, the covenants of God are 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 part of this whole redemptive yeah, uh, so package. For, so maybe like for our <laughs> lens, the most important thing out of that is it sounds like what you're saying is understanding that God is faithful and He is who He who He is is who He is, and He's faithful in that He's steadfast in His love and His faithfulness. So that as He pursued them and was faithful to His promise, He has also pursued us. He has been faithful to the cross to the farthest extent yes. to be faithful to his promise that I, I have chosen a people and you know, I'm going, I'm giving you life right. type of thing. So, and then our response is to actually trust him. Yeah. And I was reading. So, um, as time we talked, uh, I was telling you, I was reading through Deuteronomy and, uh, I'm, I just finished it. But right at the very end, I thought it was fascinating. I was telling Tanya, I'm like, I'm like, this is the same, this is the same thing here that it is in the new Testament. Like Moses stands up and says, Hey, this is the you have a choice. This is the way to life in Yahweh, God. Mm-hmm. They call him Yahweh. I like calling him Yahweh sometimes because it makes you feel like an Israelite. Um, so he says, "Hey, following Yahweh, this is life, or you can choose the other way, and that is death, because your very life is in Him because He created you into a nation. You weren't even one until He created it. And so, in fast forward thirty five hundred years to now, the same thing is true that God is saying, "This is the way to life." Because this mm-hmm. is what I created you in, and if you don't choose me, this is the way to death. It's the same thing. It, it is. It, it, all, it actually goes back to the creation and why we were created, our destiny. You know, we were created to walk with God and in, in, in be purity and in holiness. We were created to be destined to walk with him, yeah. to experience the inheritance that he, that, as his sons. All those things are our destiny. But, we, but in Adam, we sin. And then we sin, 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 sin. Yeah. But yet God has remained faithful to his promise and his love. And so he reaches down in grace to work with us. And the covenant is a great thing. That's the, actually the promise and the plan of God and the covenants of God are all part of the development of his plan of redemption. And so when the, I'll just throw this in. When the yeah. prophecies are coming in with when God is sending his, his men to speak the voice of God, yeah. all of the prophecies are like signposts to show how the covenant and the plans are holding up and unfolding. Huh. So it all fits together. So, that, so once God uh, begins to save us and redeem us, he has a plan that's unfolding. Let me, let me ask you this. So so, so we've kind of hit on the covenant, and God has created this covenant with his people. that kind of leads into his ultimate covenant with us. But sticking with um, with Israel and, and his original people in like those first few hundred years, God leads them out. He, he sends Moses, says, through Moses, I'm going to lead you out uh, of Egypt, slavery being oppressed in Egypt to the promised land, this land that I'm going to give you. I'm going to make you into a great nation as I promised 
your your forefather Abraham. I promised him that. And they get to the mountain, Mount Sinai, um, and God gives them the Ten Commandments. Or we just call it the law. Now, I didn't. I had never really spent much time in this. I didn't realize there's tons and tons of other laws, like all Leviticus and there's the Levitical law and the Deuteronomy. There's a bunch of law, but for the most part, like let's just look at the Ten Commandments. We'll just call that the law. So, what is the Ten Commandments? Um, what is that? Why does He give that to them once He once He's led them out? Okay, this is a big question. Yeah. Matter of fact, Jesus said that you can sum all the laws up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Yes. Upon all this, the law and prophets hang. So, so we have an idea that behind the Ten Commandments is an even greater understanding of the heart of God. And so what, what the Ten Commandments actually become are, are this heart of God to walk with us in unity and in love and in, uh, to accomplish uh, chaos, I mean order out of this chaos that we live in. So there's, there's this whole thing of, of where the law is based in something. It's not just, God just doesn't pick it out of the thin air. Yeah. But, it, but it's based in his heart and his love for us and his creation that we actually love one another. Now to accomplish that in a world of sin, and that's one of the things that Paul deals with when he's talking. And if you think the Old Testament just has the the, new, the Ten Commandments, you haven't read the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, remember in Gen- yeah, Matthew 5, yeah, yeah. all of Romans 6, 7, 8 is Paul describing his struggle with this. Yes. So all the Ten Commandments are, are things that are all the way through. The, but what is happening in the New Testament, you go just a step into the foundation of that, which is the Spirit of God and the heart of God. So they're more, they, they're more what we would call they seem more palatable, but they're very mo- much more difficult. Yeah. For instance, in the New Testament, it says, you know, don't just uh, not, don't just say don't just avoid murder. You're not even allowed to hate your brother. Yeah, or don't don't not just avoid adultery. Don't even look at another woman. Yeah, and so it's like all of a sudden, wow! The Ten Commandments are now the morals are deeper in my very being, and it, it forces me to understand what they're about, which is what I'm going to say. Can I ask you this? Is, are they deeper because God has revealed himself deeper through Jesus? So, oh, yes. Okay. And he's given us his spirit. So when uh, Galatians says that when Jesus Christ came, it was the fullness of time. And, and what that implies is it's time for us to grow up. Because the Old Testament really is about developing the children of God, leading them to what Galatians calls the adoption of sons. Yep. And the adoption of sons means you're now entering into adulthood. You're becoming a, official heirs. And so what happens is God sees as he, when he gives the Spirit of God and when he explains Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ actually fulfills the prophecies and dies for our sin, raises from the dead, then he ushers in, in a sense, this we're now adult sons. That doesn't mean we're mature in yeah. all ways, but, but we become the heirs of the kingdom. So now God expects us to understand the deeper roots of what life is about. It's not just a kid where you're saying to him, brush your teeth three times a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't, no, don't do that. Don't go out of the house without telling me, and you'll be back here by 10 o'clock. It's that's like, kind of, okay. So that's that would have been, that that would been be, Old Testament law, kind of like these. Right, because it's always about, it's about children. See, yeah. that's one thing. We, people get mad at the Old Testament. It's like they're getting mad at childhood. <laughs> it's like I didn't like being told what to do by my dad. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but aren't you glad you learned to brush your teeth? Yeah. I am. I am very glad. <laughs> okay. But those those type of things. So uh, when you get to the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments are given, 
you have to remember you can't forget the what goes before it. It's all this sin. They've just come out of Egypt. They've been under, at that point time, one of the greatest empires that the world has produced. And they had some good things about it. They experienced all kinds of of things to eat. Uh, all, I mean, and they were at the top at one time, but then at the end they ended up at yeah. the very bottom of that society. But they experienced the evils. Abraham here is trying to sell his wife. Yeah. He does it twice. Because that's normal to them. That would right. have been a normal thing. Then what happens is then you start looking at the laws that are around that time, like the Hammurabi laws, the laws in Egypt. They actually reflect the Ten Commandments, uh, but they don't do it at the level that they do it. Like it's, it's still always about uh, if you're wealthy, you can buy your way out of it. Okay. If you're politically connected, you can, you can circumvent it. Yeah. And you'll see that when you read the Hammurabi laws, but they actually deal with the same thing. They, the big, one of the biggest things is men and women relationships. Boy, that's the, of course that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And so they have to regulate it. If there's no law, then everything is just the might makes right. Yeah. So the law probably, so like have no gods before, like worship me, like I am, mm-hmm. I am, I am your God alone. That's because their ancient Israel is growing up in a place in Egypt where there's just gods everywhere. Right. And so it's like totally natural to them. Well, yeah, the Egypt, Egyptians and, worship all these and, gods. We, mm-hmm. And so God's kind of treating them as children in this spiritually of like, hey, first step is you need to understand that like I'm God. Like mm-hmm. this is it. And to them, God was the one that supplied their life, gave them their strength, gave them their vision and direction. I mean, everyone believed that in those cultures. Yeah, they all believed in that. But the, what was the problem was they had created their own gods. Yeah. That's why I like, and it sounds nerdy, but that's why I think sometimes it's important to say like Yahweh, like mm-hmm. the, the is Israel's God said, "This is I am." Like I am, I'm you the can't say the name. Like one. he is who he is. Yeah, right? I'm like, the creator. Yeah, I right. am him. So it's he's saying like e- Egyptians thought their God was God, and he's saying, "No, no, I am." Like yeah. this is it, and so I'm teaching you to understand this. And out of the overflow of my heart, all these laws yeah. are to try to structure you around how I want this to look? Well, sure. And also, the God that you chose or you gave your life to is the one that directs your life. And basically, he said, wait, wait a minute. You were under the laws of Egypt. You, you served Ra. You, you served these guys. You, you've understood the Baalim that are, that are in Canaan. You know what they're like. You know, you, Marduk over in uh, Babylon, you, you understand the power that he, that he creates fear in you and the lifestyle that they make. Mm-hmm. He says, what happens is when you follow me, technically, you're actually saying, God, I want you to be the one that defines me. I want my identity to be with you. I want to, I want to experience your blessing and the life that you promise to give. I mean, that's what you're actually yeah. saying. And so if, I, if I'm going to give that to you, you have to, be, you have to follow me. I know yeah. it sounds kind of – it does sound ridiculous in our – but that's – in a sense, we do that every time we vote at a political – uh, you know, yeah. for a party, yeah. because we're saying I want this party's promising me all these things, and I'm going to follow them. And then, of course, if I switch parties, in the middle, I probably shouldn't use a political thing, no, but right. but you understand what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, that's what, you're saying. what he's saying is is in in the Ten Commandments, the first three were very clearly directed toward how we relate to God. We love him with all of our heart, mind, soul. Vertical, right? Right. I've heard that term, like the vertical relationship between humanity and God. And then the the, sort of the the jewel in the middle was the Sabbath. 
And that included so many other things. That includes how man works with man and works with God, and they merge together to, to honor one another and to enter into the fullness of life. Right. And that involved several principles. But basically it involved, it would be like saying having a balanced scorecard in life where you don't just achieve your goal at any price. You have to always remember that you're married, you have a family, you have children, you, you're raising children, you have a job, and in that job there are other people beside you. You live in community. Mm-hmm. It's not just about you. Yeah. And the Sabbath was sort of that concept. That's you cool. have to be able to balance out your relationship with God and with man according to what we were, how we were made, our identity, and what we were called to do. Now, I've, let me ask you this. I've read a lot on... Um is it true that the law also served to kind of not condemn us in sin, but show us our sinfulness? Well, that's the that's the point where it was given because of sin. Okay. Because of our sin, so it directs. So it us. definitely should direct us to look in the mirror and say, "Oh." Yeah, and so I mean, for instance, let's look at them. You can't lie. You, you're not allowed to commit adultery. You can't murder. You can't steal. Uh, you know, it's all these things, and and you know, I've I've never understood why people are against the Ten Commandments. To be honest with you, in our culture seems to be a pushback on them. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Those Every time somebody steals with you, steals off of you, you get kind of mad, don't yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, no, no one. You know, I, I love it when people who are sleeping around with everybody, but the one they're with tonight, they don't want them messing around with anybody yeah. else. It's like we have we have these things in our life. We. And so the Ten Commandments are, what they become is, they become ways in which we can actually walk in a way that brings the promises that God gave to us and the blessings of life that we yearn for to pass. Hmm. In other words, that's why it's called the royal law. That makes sense. But there's another element to the law is because it, it puts these uh, guidelines and restrictions on our life, mm-hmm. it, reveal, it, it causes that selfishness to rise up where we say nobody tells me what to do. And then the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh are the, basically what the ball's talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I yearn to have a sexual relationship with this person. Or I learned, I, I, I covet what they have, or, and I'm going to steal it. Or, ooh, I better lie my way out of this because I don't want the, I, the truth is going to hurt me. You know? yeah. It won't set me free. <laughs> I don't want to be that free. You know? So what happens is, is all these things that the law's doing, it's actually leading us in the pathway of truth, but it reveals that we really have another urge, and that's to go apart from truth. Huh. We're just interested in our own selfishness, our own agenda. And so, and so when we see this, we, it's not that I'm just going to th- trash it. It's just that, ooh, this situation, I don't want to obey it. Ooh, and in that situation, I don't want to obey it. And so for ooh. like our rea- – like, um, so say like for someone today that's interacting, like how do I interact with the law – we would look at it and say, well, it kind of forces us into the mirror to say, oh, like, I do that stuff. Like, I'm guilty of this, so that like, I'm a sinner. But also, like, there is this the common sense of it, which Jesus expands upon, actually, in, in Matthew 5. But it's like, there is, like, just the, the levelness of, like, this is how life is supposed to look. Like, I created humanity to function as a society yeah. because that's what I want for you guys. Like, it will go well. So to buck against that is to buck against the Creator's vision for our lives of just like this is what it looks like to exist in a pleasant humanity right it's it's not that god's trying to trying to ruin our life he's not putting us in handcuffs he's saying no this is where freedom is found right it's just like playing basketball if you just dribble the ball anywhere you want and throw it in and, and yeah. 
we have rules. There's a lot yeah. of rules playing the basketball game, and, and that's what makes it fun. If you play it within the rules, and there's a lot of freedom that's if you play it within the at. rules. But if you don't play it within the rules, the structure of how the how it's supposed to go by the creator of mm-hmm. the game, then it's not fun. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's a great analogy. And so uh, God understands life better than any of us, and He loves us, which are two great positives, and so He directs it that way, uh, and. So the law has a very positive thing, but it also has a negative thing in because it interacts with our own selfish desires. Yeah. What, what explains that in a, in a real short way is, uh, is Galatians 5, where it talks about... Uh, it's my favorite book of the Bible. Yeah, okay. Well, if, you know, but it talks about uh, the, the, the uh, fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Yeah. And it names all these it's things. All that nasty li- that's all that nasty yeah, it's list. a nasty list. Yeah. But it's all the na- all those lists are the, the why the Ten Commandments are written. And so, so what you have is that list, and then you have all these laws. Matter of fact, you can sort of read through the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, if I obeyed the Ten Commandments, it would take care of all those. And then it talks about the fruit of the spirit. So you've got the fruit of the flesh, which is this body. Yeah. And you've got the fruit of the Spirit and names nine of these fruits. And then it says something unique at the end. It says, against these there is no law. And that's huh. so what I happens. I've never read that. Bef- like in that, I, I see. Keep see going. the context? See yeah. And so the, the fruit of the flesh, what the law is written for is to keep us How about that? from uh, letting our, this body, this tool, yeah. phenomenal, the greatest tool in the world, to, to ruining that. us. Because, but to rather have self-control. And the last, the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so mm-hmm. there's no law against the fruits of the Spirit. And what that sort of implies is God wants us to grow up as adult sons so that our, our, our very basic desire, if we walk in the Spirit, in other words, we don't, we're now expressing the heart and the love of God and so the law doesn't really need to be written for us That's because now it's Again, in our such heart. Thing, there is no law. I've never heard that explained. That makes perfect sense to me. Here, I open this up real quick. Uh, I remember when we were leading Young Life and we looked at Galatians 5 and, and the list is, um, but if, you are, if you're under the law, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. And he goes on, and that's right before the fruit of the Spirit. But I remember reading that to kids, and I was like, welcome to Wadsworth High School. That's what life looks like. Like, that is the flesh. And they were like, wow, that really is like what life looks like, like strife and, you know, Uh all this crazy stuff. And so you're saying that that the law is to, to put that in the mirror of, like, this is who I am, in my sinfulness, the law is to direct you away from that. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goes on. Against such these, there is no law. There's, There's no law. Wow, that's awesome. What a cool nugget. I hope everyone hears that. that is a, that's a nugget to take away. That's pretty awesome. at not just the Ten Commandments, but like God's kind of code that he presents in the Old Testament, we'll call okay. it. So this would include stuff in like Leviticus and Deuteronomy where he expands upon the Ten Commandments. And there's actually all these other real, like 
this gets into maybe some of the weirdness of the law, like from our terms. Like we would read Leviticus and be like, what in the world do I do with the Levitical law? Like this is absurd, like some of these stuff. Like what to do with goats and all this junk. And so I want to I tell you my understanding of this, and I want you to tell me if I'm wrong, partially there, just mm-hmm. I'm right on, whatever. Okay. So I, th- I, th- I think you're right on that. Well, I appreciate that. It's okay. Um, so all right. So I've heard the criticism. I, I, I've heard the criticism of the Christian church. It's like we look at the Old Testament, you just pick things. Like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore, like this and that or whatever. And it's like, well, where is this coming from? So I read this. I, w- I want to know if this is right. God's laws to ancient Israel, there was a civil component, a ceremonial component, and a moral component. So civil would have been like, this is specific like government structure stuff for ancient Israel, for the nation state of Israel. So this is civil. So when we look at that today, we're not the ancient state of Israel. So some of these civil structures, like how to run a government, are not necessarily something that you and I have to look at and and function in regards to that. Then the other thing was ceremonial. This would have been, if you read the Old Testament, there's so much in it about making, about being unclean naturally, naturally, and before you could be in the presence of God or whatever, you consecrate yourself and all this stuff was to become ceremonially clean to to be in the presence of God. Um, and we'll talk about this in a little bit more in a minute. But Jesus would say, then came and said, I, f- I have fulfilled that law because I make you clean. So no longer do you have to do these things to to take away your uncleanliness. I have come and I am the light. I make you clean. When I touch you, things become clean. So he kind of fulfilled that law. And then the last one was God's moral law. And God's moral law still stands because it just reveals the heart of God. So this was stuff that wasn't just like ancient for ancient Israel, like as a nation state, it was, this is the heart of God being revealed. This never passes away. So when Jesus is interacting um, and he's teaching, he says, not an iota of the law will pass away. But he also says, I have fulfilled the law. So am I understanding that correct, that some of this was directed specifically to the ancient nation of Israel? Some of this was pointing to our uncleanliness that Jesus would then step in and say, I have fulfilled this. And then other bits of it were kind of God's morality being portrayed. That Then Jesus actually fulfilled that too because he kind of put skin and bones on it and displayed. Is that in correct interpretation? I, I think that's uh, a very clear presentation, simply put. I mean, the, like we were, like when you read the Bible, you wish that God would just say, okay, I'm going to talk about the law and what doesn't cross over the border of the New Testament and what does and, and make it very clear, but... He doesn't do that. He, what he does is it's like he meets us where we are at, and what we need to understand at the time. Uh, <clears throat> okay, what you said is true. There's a civil, there is the ceremonial, there's the moral. The moral is, is illustrated as in, in the Ten Commandments, but it also is illustrated in the book of Proverbs. Hmm. See, because the Proverbs now become the wisdom tools to apply the laws that are so that life can reach its, you know, the level of peace and blessing and civility that we yearn for. So it gives all kind of guidelines. So, and then when you get the New Testament, it's still doing the same thing. So the, the moral law is there. The, the civil law was meant to direct Israel uh, to keep them uh, pure before God so that they could be an instrument to the nations. That's, that's, a, that's a whole different concept now. One of the reasons why is because we're under the times of the Gentiles. I mean, that's a biblical yeah. term. In other words, uh, the kingdom of God is apparent, but it's in our hearts. It's almost like it's unseen. Yeah. 
whereas in the Old Testament it was very visible. Visible, and it like was a two million person ancient state. Right, and so it was, but it was meant to be, in a sense, a picture of what God was doing. It was to be the, the this open witness because it's 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 dealing nation to nation was the way they they interacted with each other. It was person to person, but it was community to community, but really it was nation to nation. God was trying to to reach as many people as possible through this, and it, it, it obviously Israel did not follow that. <laughs> but but what happens with Jesus Christ? We're all one now in Jesus Christ, and we and so the the barriers have been broken, all, and 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 that's made clear in Acts chapter ten, and so of all those those rules that separated us separated the people of God from the people of the world, not because he wanted them to be uh, without interaction. Actually, that wouldn't be true, or he wouldn't have put them in Canaan, because Canaan was the crossroads of the the world. So he put them there so that they would actually interact with all of the nations and be a witness to them of what God could actually do if they actually trusted and obeyed. But once Jesus Christ came, that was not going to be the, the way it was going to be. Now what was going to happen is we were going to be sent out yeah. to the Holy Spirit. So the restrictions were so that's no— that's like Acts 1 or 2, right? That's the new— Yes, Acts 1. Acts 1, right? To and then when the, the formation Judea, of the body of— Samaria, yeah. and all the world. Right. And so now we're supposed to go out, and then the Spirit of God is the one who empowers us, and, and we go out to all the peoples, all the nations of the world. And so it's a little – so we don't want – those restrictions had, had fulfilled their purpose. Okay. That makes sense. I see that now. And so Paul actually says in Galatians, I was protecting you. It was like a jailer protecting someone or like a superintendent leading children. And if you don't see the Old Testament as a, as a development, like a discipline in the sense of disciple, of, of a parent with a child, if you yeah. don't see it in that sense, you miss a lot of the direction uh, and, the, and the interaction between God and Israel in the Old Testament. But he's training them, pointing them to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, now there's a new concept that's developing. And the people of God now are to to embrace the mission of God and to go out in the power of the Spirit. So he doesn't want us to be separated from the world. He wants us to actually reach the world. But what the Old Testament separation laws were meant to teach was that we should remain holy to God and not not just play around with our loyalties in our heart. We need to be all in to God. So when we go to the world, we're not trying to say to the world, well, you're okay and I'm okay and we'll we'll just solve it in the end. Yeah. No, we're there good. to say, you know, we we're here to present you the way, the truth and the life. It's found in Jesus Christ. We're all his. And so our holiness now means that I am Jesus. I, I belong to Jesus. Huh, and so cool. I'm, I, I'm, so, you, so the law has, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So now I'm not here to teach a certain law. I'm here to teach Jesus Christ. I'm here. He's my all in all. Okay. When, it comes to, when it comes to ceremonies, you have to remember, this is something we, often, we really get into struggles about ceremonies. But remember, ceremonies were like symbolic actions. In other words, they were meant to oh, illustrate something. And Jesus fulfilled that because he's... Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial elements in Leviticus. Gotcha. And so that's all taken care of. Jesus fulfilled the cleanliness concepts. In other words, we have to realize we one of the things we've forgotten is our sin. Yeah. 
As a matter of fact, people say, you know, why does God do this? Well, it's because sin's pretty bad. No, my sin's not that bad. <laughs> so we, we forget that. But the sin is really bad. It destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys trust, which is the foundation of all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. It ruins our bodies. It ruins air. I mean, but yet we somehow seem to be able to, to live above our sin. And so when God comes in and does what he does, we think, well, you didn't need to do that, God. It's like we're drowning in the ocean of sin, yet we think we're just chilling on a raft drinking a margarita. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, no. You're actually that's about good. two breaths away from going down. Yeah, that, that's real good. And, Jesus, yeah. oh, and we just don't have the right perspective of our sin. All right, I got a couple more questions I want to ask. Um, this is something that I have questions about because, and my sister asked me about this. And like when I'm reading the Bible, and let me just read a, a specific one De- Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit in it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today should be on your heart. This is the part, like something like this You shall teach them to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So something like that. And then in Joshua 1 where he, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Meditate on my law day and night. Do these – was this God interacting specifically with Joshua and that ancient people that were alive at that time saying this is for you? When it's a, like a direct quote to them. I mean he says, hear, O Israel – you shall love the Lord your God, and he's speaking directly to Joshua. Is that to them that we can kind of roughly apply, be like, well, yeah, we should be strong and courageous too, or is that also something that we can look at and be like, he's letting us know his heart here, this is directly to us because we have, Paul's term is grafted into Israel, mm-hmm. essentially. So how does that work? When you read the New Testament, you you see Paul, you see John, you see these writers using the Old Testament stories. As all the, the time. All the time. Matter of fact, you can't read Paul's letters. He's the greatest theologian of all time, for right. sure, right? And, and where did he get all of his knowledge and all of his illustrations? From did, the Old Testament. Yeah. So his, his hermeneutic is the one I think you should most yearn to be like. In other words, he did understand the Jewish culture, because he was and a Jew. Because he was a Jew. And he, matter of fact, he was in training to become a lead Pharisee at yeah. one time. So, uh, so he understands the Jewish culture, and he loved the Jewish culture. And he sort of got an idea that it was for God. I mean, although it was, and he sort of said, well, I was, got off track, but, but my heart was right. Mm-hmm. So, so he understands it, but when he begins to talk about it, it all is now funneled through Jesus Christ. So the stories are still applicable, but now they have the wisdom and the fullness of Jesus Christ there. So let me. So, kind of like you've read the Old Testament, Paul's interacted that with his whole life. He would have memorized the entire Torah, right? Five first chapter, first books of the Bible, which is wild. And now he puts the lens of Jesus on, and he's going to interact with the Old Testament now. Of like now, I'm looking at this through the lens of Jesus almost as a new perspective, and that's how he kind of walks his theology. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. What, um, Which is how we should do it. Right. I mean, that's, that's what I think Paul's showing us. As a matter of fact, Peter says, you know, his writings are just like the Scriptures. <laughs> mm-hmm. He elevates them to that level so they, that it's almost like what has happened is the Spirit of God moves in his life. He reads the Old Testament. He understands 
you have to make distinctions. I mean, let's face it, you can't, we don't dress like they do, we don't eat yeah. like they do. We, there's a lot of things that are, that are different. But the essence of what's going on there, the true spiritual lessons, or what we would call eternal lessons, okay. remain intact because we're dealing with people of God. Now, for instance, if they're dealing with, when you deal with Israel, there's, that's a double one you're reading in Deuteronomy 6. You've got parents there and you've got children there. And so both of, one of them is acting like a more mature person. One is acting like a disciple or a student who's growing and learning. And so uh, what happens is, if, for instance, the Old Testament will often have different levels of lessons as God is trying to teach his children and help them mature and grow. You'll have the lower level, <laughs> and then you'll have higher level things like you should do this. Like jo- Joshua would have been a higher level yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, and Joshua means savior. And sometimes I think that you have to be uh, alert to the names. Yeah, there's some jo- themes going Yeshua, on there. Yeshua, Yeshua, yeah. Jesus, and Joshua the same same thing. Yeah. And so you have uh, you have lessons there. And so Joshua, you're you're told to you know. He defines success for him. He defines what it means to be courageous. I mean, wow. I think that's a that's a great lesson to understand. You you need to understand what is success so you can actually have the proper vision and pathway, but you also have to have courage to follow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a lesson that I think is very important. And, and you that's look, an eternal lesson that, lesson that I could look at and be like, that sure. applies to me. And you, when you look at the Old Testament, when you, especially like 1 Corinthians, it talks about 10, talks, Paul's talking a little bit, he's, Ill, he's touching on it, where he takes the Old Testament journeys through the wilderness. And it's almost like they, 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 they're parallel to what we go through today. You're redeemed from sin. You come out with nothing. You're in a <laughs> desert land. And wh- why are you there? Because God's going to reshape yeah. your life. And you have no idea what it's going to look like. That's right. And so what you do is you trust God. But what do we do? We normally gripe. I mean, and yeah. I and I so I read that and I go, wow, that's exactly what happens today. Yeah. And he marches us and he prepares us and then he takes us into the to the land. And you think the land's perfect. And then you go, oh, I got to clean up the land. <laughs> and then you know, there's, there's ways that we do that with our own life. I mean, you look in the mirror and you go, I worship this God and I worship yeah. this God and this little deity. And and I'm thinking, wow, my life's no different than the Canaanites. Yeah, it seems insane. Like, um, I'll sometimes I'll read this and I'll be like. This, I'm like, God just parted the Red Sea, brought these people out, and then, like, right away they're griping. I'm like, these guys are idiots. And then it hits me like, oh, I do the same thing all the time. All the, right? yeah. God will I mean, do something. He shows up sometimes in a big way, sometimes just in a, da- a daily normal way, and then you forget about it by dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it – I've found that, like, it, throughout what I've been reading is God requires markers almost. Mm-hmm. Um like, hey, you just crossed the Jordan. We're going to put some stones here as a memorial because you're not going to forget this because you have to constantly be remem- remembering what I've done for you um, so that you know who I am. And I, I would have thought sometimes, like, oh, that seems like an immature faith, but it's not at all. Like, Israel's entire faith seems to me like it was built on what God has done. Like, God has brought you out of slavery. Now you will serve him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I just thought that was, that was pretty unique, pretty cool. And, and Paul and Peter both talk about markers in our life and how that we're always to advance and keep going forward. And the markers are to remember that God has taken us this far. Yeah. It reminds us of his faithfulness. It also reminds us of the challenges that lie before us and what we've gone through, our own struggles. Because, you know, you pass that marker and you go, 
Ooh, yeah, I remember not wanting to cross the Jordan because it was flowing too fast and it was a little bit too high. Yeah. And then all of a sudden those Levites came by and it parted, and I'm going, wow, why do I always doubt God? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it reminds you of the whole at- attitude, but it's, it reminds us most of all that God is faithful and that he redeems. And I think markers in your life are tremendous. It's like that song that we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. Yeah, that's cool. All right, a um, couple more and then we'll get you out of here. I think at a very surface level, our culture interact, or let's say even our church culture, we interact with Jesus as the God of love. Like Jesus mm-hmm. is all about love. That's what it is. I think that is great to some aspect. And then we look at God of the of the Old Testament, and we're like, He seems so wrathful and so angry. Like, what? How are these the same? Like, how how do we deal with that? Like, how do we as a as a people of God look at that and be like, No, this this is a the same God. Mm-hmm. Well, if uh, if you had asked my twelve year old daughter what I was like as a parent, as and now that. Uh, I'm sick. I'm going on 69, and she's, well, whatever she is. I'm not going to tell her. But, <laughs> 29. <laughs> 29 eternally, yes. And uh, she would have a different response because mm-hmm. we were in the throes mm-hmm. of I've growth. Huh? I've never heard this type of. We were in the throes of growth then. But one of the things that as she, but she trusted me and she loved me. Now her trust and love is a little bit different than it was as a child. Because as a child, it was like, boy, I hope I'm trusting the right person. Yeah. This guy <laughs> doesn't seem to know what he's no, doing. No, this guy's really messing up my life. He's keeping, yeah. And that, but, but in those days, it was, it was, it was a different aspect. She would, I remember one time she would say things like, I hate you. You're ruining my life. <laughs> I would say, fortunately, I love you. So, so you're okay. You'll be all right, yeah. <laughs> You'll be okay. You know, you talk about that. Oh, I'm, I love them. You're always saying no to me, and you never say no to yourself. <laughs> I, say, oh, I don't ask permission to say no to myself, yeah. dear. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it's we we all. In other words, we have different perspectives at different times. I think the one of the things. This is just a blanket statement. In the Old Testament, God is actually taking people from their very infancy and raising them to the point where they're going to be uh, people who understand life as it was created. And so, and just like we have a child that we raise from infancy, uh, we love that child tr- tremendously. But, but we deal with them in a way that helps them move from infancy to adulthood. Mm. And so we're going. And so all the actions that we have are not going to be peaches and cream. Yeah. Uh, because that will make them fat and spoiled. Yeah, they'd be a mess. Which is what hap- some of that even happened. Yes. Like I was reading that, and at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying to them like. He used a different word for Israel, but he's like, you've become fat, essentially. Mm-hmm. You've gotten spoiled off this, and you've gotten a big head, and now yeah. I'm going to discipline you. Now I have to do something about it. So what happens, uh, that's just an overall view. You have to see that. Now what I think happens, though, often is we don't believe sin is bad. That's another problem that yeah. we, we judge God. One of the things that I've noticed uh, is that people will, will read the Old Testament, and they'll, they'll only read so far. And they'll, they'll read about what God's doing and they don't like what they hear or it's not something they've expected through their, their ideas about God. Or they've, they've read the New Testament and then they go to the Old Testament and they, they can't believe that, that God actually did these things. And sometimes those are formed by social morals and things yeah. like that. But what happens is, is often they'll read only the, to the point where they get upset and they break off in the middle of the story. 
And what I found out is that there are times in the Bible where, where you may not understand God's action, but you don't understand the milieu, the whole background. And the biggest problem is, is we don't understand the evil that men do, yeah. that God actually steps in and his action stops it from being worse than it could ever be. Yeah. And that's because of his love for people. But if you read through the whole, the whole portion, you'll find that in the end, he's very merciful, compassionate, and loving. Matter of fact, God talks about himself in, you know, in, in yeah, Exodus 34. He describes himself as he des- Yes, he describes himself. Slow to anger. And so you go, wow, that's unbelievable. He is slow to anger. Then, and so what happens is we, we often don't give God the fair chance because we only listen to half the story. So if you read the whole story, you'll find out that God is most wise, most gracious, most compassionate, and merciful. Of course, the biggest part of the story that we forget is that in the midst of all this sin and evil and everybody hurting one another, which bothers me too, as much as it bothers anybody, Jesus Christ comes down and actually dies for us. And that is not only a symbolic act, it's one that has the power to forgive and that's the key thing that Jesus does for us, and that's the key concept of what God is. Because Jesus, Jesus was God. The full glory mm-hmm. of God was on display in Jesus. And Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so if I'm, if I'm going to describe God in a mature, adult way, I would say, look at Jesus. Yes, This cool. is exactly the way that God is. In the Old Testament, we're looking at him through the eyes of children who are growing up. But what he's doing, he's guiding their growth to produce what we love when we see Jesus. That's pretty cool. But there's another reason why I think the Old Testament is is, is often misunderstood or gets a bad rap. When you read the New Testament, they never get upset with the way God acted in the Old Testament. They didn't. No, it's like, and wait a minute, they're the ones that were the closest to it, that was their history, but these guys don't get upset with it because to them, they all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they go, oh, now I know what God was doing. Yeah, and even the people that don't recognize Jesus, like that didn't see him, they, they were mad at Jesus because they thought he was disrespecting God. Like they had such a high bar mm-hmm. set for their Yahweh, for, for the right. I am God, and they said, oh, that can't be Jesus. So they never had a problem with it. Yeah. And then we see Jesus, but we look back and we have a problem with it. And it's because we don't, we're not willing to know the entire setting of what's going on. Well, thanks so much for your time. This is great. I could have talked to you until 10 o'clock tonight. but Well, I, <laughs> I could talk too. As a matter of fact, I say, you know what? Read the Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>